Hello everybody, welcome back to another It's brand new And it's an episode of the Brain Food Show Which has, oh What sections do we have today? The appetizer, the main course and the dessert (laughs) Because the show's called Brain Food Look at all those food references But Mm. then it's got nothing to do with food Because we're talking about medieval stuff I mean, maybe we're talking about medieval food I didn't even know Um, Are we? I mean, no, no well, we're okay. Well, no, not yeah, at all. No, no, not at all. Fair enough. Just makes it extra confusing. I love it. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, that would be awesome. You can do that on iTunes or Spotify. Can you leave reviews on Spotify? I don't think you actually can. So no, I, don't, I should I don't probably. Think so. But like anywhere, which is weird. Yeah, it is weird. That is. I'd like generally. I'd like to switch my podcast listening to Spotify, hmm. but I found it a bit annoying because if I want to, there was something like you can't listen to. Do you have Spotify? No. No. Okay. Well, you it, like if you play at one place, you can't play at another place. So I think it was like I just want music going on in the background of my house, but then sometimes I want to listen to a podcast as well on my phone or something. Yeah. And then like if I yeah. just have music playing in the living room, and then it's like I go to take a shower or something, I just put my phone there and play a podcast. Yeah. It'll stop the music in the living room. I'm like, well, that's dumb. Yeah, that's uh, YouTube does that because if you do uh, YouTube, whatever it's called now, premium, I guess, uh, red mm-hmm. or you know whatever. Uh, if you do that, you get the the YouTube music free. Um, so I just use that because that's you know it's like I've the not same used price. That yet. It's the same price, but you get no ads on YouTube, which is kind of the same price as Spotify, but you get the no ads. But it, they do the same thing. You're only allowed to play on. No, I mean sometime. I I definitely I pay for YouTube Premium because oh, and you don't get the they music? got me because no, I do get the music. I just have Spotify and it's got all my playlists in there. And but, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, it's like seven bucks or something yeah yeah, it's not a lot i don't want to say i'm a baller but uh (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 not breaking the bank no no yeah totally um um so contest weird flex but okay (laughs) (laughs) so did we did we mention the full contest or uh no i didn't no i didn't i know i'm actually competent you have to believe me if we have (laughs) I would have totally forgotten. Um, when we get to a thousand reviews on iTunes, we're going to give away a thousand dollar Amazon gift card to a random person who reviews uh, anywhere left a review. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah, so it doesn't have to be Amazon. Uh, Amazon. What am I talking about? Get your shit together, Simon. It doesn't well, have like, to be iTunes. Not like technically US. anywhere. Like if you write it on your, you know, toilet paper next to you, it's not. That's not going to work. But you know. Like, yeah, and we also can't. I, Look, if you're like listening to this on iTunes Gambia or something, we're probably yeah. not going to be checking the Gambia reviews, but like yeah. big countries, US, UK, Canada, Australia, the English speaking ones, mm-hmm. uh, and like, I guess like Germany is another big one. And like any of the podcasting you know, apps. To the show. So yeah. So, oh yeah, obviously like yeah. Uh, people get the message, dude. Right. <laughs> I can, I, we can <laughs> stop talking about this and at this point if you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So appetizer. Uh, have have yeah. you ever wondered how the slipping on a banana peel gag got started? Because have you ever actually seen someone no, slip one time, on a banana peel? Like, like, <laughs> no. no. One time when I was a kid, my parents bought a bunch of bananas. I must have been like six or something. I was really young. And uh, me and my sister, we ate all of the bananas and laid them out on the floor like to, yeah. for people to slip on. Yeah. And uh, my parents were really upset that we ate all the bananas. <laughs> it was like 20 bananas. It was a lot. And they were like, wait, you ate them all? So like, did, anyone not good. did anyone actually slip on them? No, it was incredibly obvious because it's a giant banana peel yeah. that's just laid out on the floor. You'd have to be dumb to be able to, to, to miss it. Yeah, totally. But it turns out this was actually a problem for a little bit, which we're going to get into shortly. But so starting 1866, really? a man called Carl B. Frank began importing uh, bananas to New York City from Panama. And this was not the first time 
bananas had been imported to the U.S. Um, but it was the first time someone tried to do it in mass and like consistently and not just like a random a random thing. And it totally worked and it caught on. So the Centennial International Exposition, Exposition of 1876, which was the first World's Fair um, in the U.S., uh, they, they the bananas sold this. I thought this was interesting for ten cents each, which is two dollars and forty cents today. So bananas, God damn, some fancy banana. Bananas today cost like ten cents each. Like, like that's a rare, yeah. a rare case where like, you know, inflation sort of like it just. Dude, gotten... how cheap are vegetables and fruit? Yeah, like and bananas I'm... are the, like the. If you want to, if you want to eat really cheaply, like brown rice, bananas, potatoes, and like chicken like uh, like you can uh, chicken's Dude, the one chicken sort of expensive is, chicken is but it's it's, it's a different cheap. league yeah but that's what i'm saying like brown rice uh brown rice bananas and uh potatoes like that staple you can eat for like basically nothing and you just need like a little bit you know a little protein somewhere uh, to get it which you know like chicken yeah. or something like that it's mad you buy a giant bag of potatoes and yeah. it's like it's just nothing. It's not, and it's like a lot of food there, and you can make a lot of different things. It's great, uh, but oh, yeah. Dude, so potatoes are the best. Ten cents when in the the World's Fair there, and it's kind of like ten cents now. So, um, hmm. this quickly became yeah, but ten cents back in the day was <laughs> yeah. two two dollars forty, like you say. Yeah, yeah. So it became a really common street food for obvious reasons, which is something you just buy, and then and then people would just toss their You're peels. So disappointed by this today. Yeah, like street food. I want like a hot dog. Mm-hmm. I want like an ice cream. I want something either fried or filled with sugar. And be like, what's the street food option? Banana. Oh, the past <laughs> was the worst. It totally was the worst. Um, but people would uh, throw their banana peels on the streets, and they were, you know, they would just stay there and get really, you know, like bananas. They get really slimy and all that. And so it actually became like a thing. People were slipping on banana peels. And so like, for instance, we have 1879 uh, Harper's Weekly uh, criticizing people tossing their banana peels on the ground, saying, Whoever throws banana skins on the sidewalk does a great unkindness to the public and is quite likely to be responsible for a broken limb. Yeah. So uh, in 1909, the St. Louis City Council actually outlawed throwing or casting a banana peel uh, out in public uh, for this same reason. And so, but this, so this, it actually was a little bit of a, a, a problem. So, it, and it eventually inspired one sliding Billy Watson, who his sort of thing was to slide, when he would enter, he would slide across the stage, like as his, a little bit like mm. Wheezy Waiter or something, uh, where he, you know, like mm. rolls her, I think like the vlog, there's a lot of people chair, do this. Yeah. yeah, it's like a YouTube trope of like, you know, coming out a frame on your chair or whatever. But uh, so he would, you know, slide onto stage. Um, he was a vaudeville performer. And so he eventually took to using the uh, slipping on a banana peel as sort of a gag that he would do. Um, and he seems to be the first to have done this like in a comedic, that sort of comedic accidentally slipping on a banana peel. And then it got caught on uh, Charlie Chaplin did it in the By the Sea, which then after that one, it became like a staple of silent film and uh, sort of caught on from there and just sort of become a staple thing since. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes I hear like you see jokes from the past or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's pretty good. Most yeah. of the time, I'm like, really? no, it's, yeah, it's totally like really. It, I, the classic example we always bring up is that walking. When walking was a, was one of the most popular spectator sports in the world, and it wasn't. Oh yeah, it wasn't even like walking places. It was like literally just walking in circles, and people would just gather and watch you walk for like hours and hours on end, and not even racing. But not, they weren't not even racing. racing. They were just walking, <laughs> like just to see how long they could walk was like a thing. Without. By stopping. the way, can you? Can you do your PSA about bananas? Because it changed my how I do things in my house. 
Oh, okay. You yeah. know about yeah when when they so when useful, they just, when they reach yeah. the optimal ri- ripeness. I think we mentioned it before, but for people who haven't heard, uh, when you reach the optimal ripeness, put it in the fridge, and while the peel will turn really brown and all that, the inside actually will stay will kind of stay locked in that for I don't know like a week or something. Uh, that optimal yeah, ripeness is a long time. Yeah, and just like and now I've got I've always got weird looking bananas in my fridge. But yeah, it's the right way to do it. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so yeah, that is the the appetizer for the day, and now we're moving on Great. to the the bill. Where everyone has to pay Let's to throw listen it. to an advertisement. <laughs> That's the damn right. Yeah, we'll throw it to a sponsor. Guys, are you using NordVPN yet? I've mentioned it a few times on this show. NordVPN are a regular, loyal, trusted, and loved sponsor of the Brain Food Show. And uh, well, if you're not getting it yet, there's an extra reason to. I mean. We had the same offer last time, but if you haven't done it, that offer is still valid. You can get 68% off, which uh, makes it just $3.71 a month, which, uh, I don't know, that seems pretty cheap. That seems like a pretty good deal for saving your ass online. Like, um, what do I mean by saving your ass? Well, people get their stuff hacked. People get their identity stolen. People, I don't know, there's hackers out there. They're probably Russian. At least it seems to be always what you read in the media. The Russians are hacking something. Well, don't let them hack you. Don't let them steal your identity. All of that stuff. Protect yourself with a VPN. Uh, what does NordVPN do? Well, they let you access thousands of servers in different countries around the globe, hiding what you're up to. But also, imagine that you're using a streaming service like Netflix, and you're like, mm, I have watched everything. I don't think that's possible. I have watched everything I like on Netflix us and i'd like to see what they've got on netflix uk maybe they've got i don't know maybe doctor who's available on both but i don't know there are shows just fire it up and you can see oh yeah there's this this wasn't there before that wasn't there before you get other options because there's like licensing deals so like the company can only put them out in specific countries but you use a vpn Mm, no worries Get that extra content. Stay secure online. NordVPN.com forward slash brain food show. That'll get you 68% off $3.71 a month. And if that's not a good enough deal, they throw in an extra month for free because, well, why not? NordVPN.com forward slash brain food show. And let's get back to the brain food show. Do 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 do. So that was a uh, thank you to, uh, to today's sponsor for letting us do this fine show and thank you for not skipping it or if you just skip to this point well uh yeah well yeah 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 it's like a person who's like (laughs) shining and dashing you know like you just you know uh but yeah except not a crime except not a crime no not a crime i suppose um it just hurts my feelings yeah yeah do they want you to do they want you to still be able to afford your spotify and your youtube premium like Dude, it, exactly. How do I keep up this lifestyle? You know. Yeah. Um, no, but it, it is true that actually the podcast and actually all my potatoes. does. The podcast does actually need to be really like genuinely profitable at some point for us to continue indefinitely. Um, so mm. you know, it's always helpful to support the sponsors. Um, so today, what are we what are we talking about today for the main course? We're going to talk about court jesters and what it was like to be what was what was it actually like life of a court jester? And then for the dessert, we are going uh, moving on to what it was like to be an executioner in medieval times. Like what was the reality of it versus sort of the Hollywood uh, or popular perception? And so starting with court jesters, you might think wearing a, like a stupid costume, being mocked, and you know acting like an idiot for 
um, a bunch of spoiled brats, um, rulers, would be not a job you would want. And also uh, sort of temperamental and um, sort of unstable rulers who might just have your head lopped off uh, if you offend them would not be awesome. Like, like there's, this was, I just thought was funny. There's a position of the groom of the stool, which is like a real thing. And that was where there was a person, there was a person whose job it was to make sure the ruler's uh, poop was, was looking good. You know, like if it wasn't looking oh. good, they would examine it and make sure if it's not looking good, they might change their diet. They might, you know, recommend, do make recommendations there and just, you know, they're all, all things uh, poop related, you know, make sure you clean nicely. And they're just okay. Uh, I might have stool. imagined this. So I had a dream about this, yeah. but I swear, <laughs> I swear I had a podcast advertisement from some podcast or something about a company that you ship your poo off to and they will <laughs> analyze your poo for you. Sort of like ancestry DNA, except for your poo. Well, this is interesting because people- Wait, are you, Have you heard of this? No, I have not. But that sounds, it's interesting because people talk about like, so why would aliens do like alien uh, uh, anal probes? Like that's a thing, like the, the trope with aliens, like abducting people and doing anal probes. But that is the yeah. perfect thing to do because you're extracting the poop. And so you can examine what have they been eating? What's their diet? And you can tell a lot about their health from this. You can, you can, there's, you know, you got the, like all the dead cells in there. You can examine, like, this is actually a Dude. thing like Dude. alien Dude. abductions would actually Dude. be a good idea to do. Dude, yeah. no. <laughs> if you if you're some magical alien species that has come god knows how many light years from like alpha centauri or whatever and you're coming to our earth and you're going to examine us i don't think they need to like go up your butt no they're they, gonna have not the necessarily but what to, if they don't want to stick gonna... around you know it's a big universe they're exploring what if they just want to stop by for like a couple and days. the quickest way is to go up someone's butt. <laughs> yeah. Well, they can That's tell the a lot about... Solution. When you look at animals, if you're studying animals, you study their poop to see, see all sorts of things about them. Okay, so just go get it direct from the sewage. Yeah. Then yeah. you'll get a much more broader spectrum as well. You'll well, find that's out we're not all on drugs. Nearly as fun in like horror movies and stuff. Like it's much more terrifying. Yeah, dude. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. There um, are no aliens abducting us and going up our butts. Yeah, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't think so. But um, we did a whole video about Project Blue Book, right? That was yeah, that was yeah, yeah. Book. That was a great one. Yeah. Um, that was actually I love that, that was fascinating. We should make that into a podcast episode something because I actually thought that was super fascinating. Um, it, it was the the study of where the, where the government, the U.S. government, hired someone to actually look into it and gave him like full access to all records, basically proper academic, yeah, like top secret records. Everything. He had he had everything, and his job was to find because the military was concerned that there might actually be aliens, uh, and they wanted to be you know <laughs> make sure. Uh, so he he looked into everything, and yeah, that was that was a good one. Um, Spoiler alert, his conclusion was, yeah, it was <laughs> there like, are no aliens. No, yeah. I mean, there are definitely aliens, but they're yeah, just yeah. not on Earth looking up our butts. Yeah, no, no, yeah. They're like, they're, the odds of there not being aliens is just like, it, it's forget about it. There's like, you know, trillions of planets out there. It's, it's not just Earth, you know, like. The fact that it seems likely there was once life on Mars, yeah, and it seems possible there's yeah. also life in Venus's atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. These are two planets in our solar system. Well, and even if there wasn't, just the sheer odds of there not being anywhere, it just doesn't make any sense. It makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, no, it's... No, the, the universe is, like, teeming with life. It's just, you know, yeah, they're probably not, you know, anal probing us. This is, I know this is off topic, but I'm just so hoping, I really hope that within my lifetime... Whether it's ancient life on Mars or whether it's something yeah. going on on Venus, I really hope they get some samples because I desperately want to know if they have like DNA like us. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, like the 
universe is built on the same elements, right? Mm. I want to know, is alien life, does it operate like DNA? Is that how it works? Or is there some completely other system for well, how life develops? Is well, there another way for life to develop? Like people always talk like Star Trek. Oh, I mean, obviously they all have to be, be like human, like for the actors, but like it actually makes sense that they would have these bipedal or like uh, like a quad, like the people, because you need to move around. So most life is going to have like legs or, you know, like... You know, like a, like dogs. For sure, and these like, things have evolved independently. Like yeah. eyes have yeah. evolved in different species, entirely independently of each other. So there's there's actually a great likelihood that they would be like you'd have these you know things that look fairly similar. You know, like and and sure, like yeah. you know you have lots of different types. Like there might the environment might be different. So you have like fish and stuff. You know, but like at the end of the day, there's going to be these similarities to life, some form of life that's on Earth probably. Um, uh, yeah, in dude. Most cases. I mean, you look at a dolphin. It's crazy different, but yeah. it's also crazy similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I hope so, it like dolphins. So we should we should jump in to what are we actually talking about? Uh, the groom of the stool. That's how we got on this. Uh, so what about what about being the uh, the the court jester? And it came with a slew of perks. Um, so what was life actually life? Like as a court jester, just for a brief little history first. Um, turns out humans have had court jesters or some job of a jester. Um, Pretty much seemingly as long as humans have been humaning. Um, there's just record, like, basically as long as history goes back, there was always people whose job it was just to entertain people, and uh, and the wealthy uh, tended to like to employ them for their own entertainment. Um, so, like, you have, like... It's like today's YouTubers. Yeah, yeah, it was just they wanted to be entertained, and, and the, the rich could, could hire their own private ones, and then other people just got the... You know the mass mass entertainment so um yeah so you have like egyptian pharaohs you know first emperor of china all these there seem to always have been some form of that but it, the, the position matured over time so we get to the actual medieval time stereotype uh so we did have these jesters uh who they they tended to be called fools or buffoons rather the jester name didn't come about until the uh from the what was it the 16th century uh, from the anglo-norman gesture meaning storyteller um, was where mm. that name came from. But so there was two popular types. One was the licensed fool and then the natural fool. And you can see sort of the um, what one was just like naturally just by their very, um, I don't know, how they were born or whatever, how their brain works. They're a little off or whatever. And so they were just the natural. <laughs> okay. uh, and then the licensed one was more like the pro, the pros pro who trained like their whole life to be awesome at many things, which we'll get to in a bit. So, but the ones that were had physical deformities were prized. Like if you had like an extreme hunchback or malformed limbs or uh, dwarfs, which we talked about, we had a whole episode on Lord Minimus. The, uh, so if people want to go. Yeah, I like that episode. Yeah, that was good. The, the, I think we, we titled it the Renaissance Dueling Dwarf or something like that. Lord Minimus. Same sounds similar, yeah. I yeah. mean, if you search Lord Minimus, there's probably not there's probably not a hundred videos on YouTube yeah. about Lord Minimus. Yeah, or I mean, the podcast. I think we have like sixty or seventy episodes, so people might have to. Yeah, but if you back. search Lord Minimus, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. not going to bring up every episode of the podcast. It's going to bring up the one about Lord Minimus. Yeah. So the license. I mean, unless something really went wrong with your YouTube search. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I searched Lord Minimus, and all I got were videos about flat Earth. Well, it's different. Weird. Depending on the website, Lord Minimus might come up with something quite different um but so uh the so licensed fools so we it, what did they wear and actually the the sort of the uh stereotypical view is actually not that far off so you have like they might wear like a monk's cowl or like a patchwork uh thing and they also have that colorful fool's hat that stereotypical thing which actually if you people are wondering why like why that hat and it's, it's supposed to model donkey ears and they and sometimes they would also wear a donkey tail as well um mm. just sort of like uh, complete the look so they just sort of dressed oddly for for you know amusement basically um so i mean the medieval times like in my mind generally quite bad 
yeah. I think this would be a laugh. Like, it would yeah. be quite good to be the fool. Well, and these, Like, the, you get to... You, yeah, these people were And you get skilled. to get away with all sorts of shit, right? You, to a certain extent. You had to be tactful to some extent, especially because you got to deal... You remember you're dealing with spoiled <sighs> That's rats. That's where I'd probably get um, my head like, yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but, I'd say something, and I'd think it's funny, and then they'd take it too personally, and then I'd just be executed. No, that, like, oh, that was the thing. Uh, I <laughs> yeah, so they did their, their job description. Like the licensed fools were really skilled. Like so, they had to be really quick-witted. Obviously, that's like a but they had to be good at performing drama, reciting poetry and stories, and memorize these things. So they had to be able to do it on command. Like and and sing songs, perform acrobats, all this stuff. And and key here is they also had to change their routine over time to continue to entertain. You can't just do the same thing all the time. So, but yeah, um, yeah so all this uh, they were also um, yeah in charge of of cheering up you know the the king or you know whoever they were working for the duke whatever and they also uh sometimes had household tasks like running messages was a common one they would do and they and unfortunately they also were typically the ones to deliver bad news to the ruler they would be the ones just because they you know try to make them laugh or you know this sort of thing we have an example later that's actually pretty funny um of one we'll get into a specific jester but um and uh, it, they were ideal for running messages also because they tended to be around the ruler like all the time uh, and around all meetings and stuff so they were already intimately aware of everything so they could be sort of trusted uh, with you know they already knew the stuff in the messages so um it, it, they were good for that um, on battlefields they also carried messages and were you know uh, functioned as uh, entertainers for the troops to sort of boost morale and everything like that um so yeah licensed fools they had to be yeah super talented they were very smart quick-witted all that um very talented and had to continue training for a lot natural fools on the other hand, uh, didn't necessarily have to have that, although their job description in general was about the same, but they were just sort of naturally good at it by their very nature. Um, so just, uh, you know, maybe they have some sort of, um, uh, you know, mental thing going on and just, uh, and all of these also should mention, they were prized for their speaking the truth, but again, they, they had to be careful sometimes, like the, just the unbridled truth so the ruler could sort of trust that what they said was, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. like they, they basically job was to tell the ruler when they're being stupid, but you can't, you know, they, you had to be tactful about it um, if you didn't want to get in trouble. So we have a natural <laughs> fool. Let's get into specific examples. <laughs> get in trouble. Get your head chopped off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, or, yeah, exactly. So a natural fool, uh, we have William Summers. He was a... Um, King Henry VIII's, uh, he replaced the previous natural fool, Sexton, who was gifted to the king by Cardinal Thomas Wolsey. Uh, so just like uh, gifting these people, which we, I mean, we kind of got into yeah. with Lord Minimus, uh, that sort of thing. But uh, Summers was a natural fool. and But it's not really clear what his mental deficiency was because he's he was noted as having all these like very quick-witted, uh, very good at satire. Um, close, so the natural fools are the ones who look weird. The or, no, licensed fools are the ones who are no, the, like more like a comedian. Well, the natural fools were actually both of them. If you looked weird, you were prized for that. Uh, the the natural fool was the one where it was more like a mental thing. Like it was a, they had like some sort of mental issue that just made them naturally amusing to people. Um, like you know, like oh, more like okay. laughing at you type thing instead of with you. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in his case, he was known for quick witted, good satire, a very close counselor to the king, who the king really respected his opinion. But for some reason. He also couldn't seem to take care of himself at all, uh, you know, like so um, like he, he had to have someone actually take care of his day to day stuff. Um, so some people suggest like maybe like maybe he was autistic, like pretty far on the spectrum. Uh, so maybe, you know, you know, had some of this, but but, you know, struggled with some day to day things or something. But, you know, nobody knows uh, what why he was considered a natural fool. But so we have some some of his many antics. We have a couple examples. So the 17th century account by 
comedic actor Robert Armin. Uh, so he was at one point the king's juggler, um, Thomas, apparently. Uh, Summers sauntered in with milk while the juggler was jugging, and he had a bread roll as well. And then Summers sang this song. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This bit, Harry, I give to thee, and this next bit must serve for me, both which I'll eat apace. This bit, madam, unto you, and this bit, I myself eat now, and the rest upon thy face. At which point, okay. he checked so the milk in Thomas's Thomas face, face yeah, okay. uh, and you know, ruined his performance, and everyone thought this was quite amusing. Um, so Summers, also, he was so prized or favored by the king that he actually appeared in a family portrait of 1545 of portrait Henry VIII and his family. Uh, and so that included the king, his uh, one of his wife's Jane Seymour, his daughters Mary and Elizabeth, his son Edward, and Mary's own jester, who is uh, Jane the Fool. Um, this is an interesting thing. Women jesters had basically the same status, same job description, same uh, abilities. They could, they could mock the rulers. Like it, Basically, there was no difference between the men jesters and the women. It was like completely... Like, uh, which is a rare profession back then where it was like the same, yeah. the same skills, same everything, uh, you know, same rights or whatever uh, between the two. Um, so Jane the Fool was also considered, uh, thought to have been a natural fool, um, just like Summers. And so, but they both appeared in the, the family, the photo. So um, that's got to be quite an honor, like back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but illustrating sort of the danger of being a, a, a jester, uh, even a natural fool, which, um, you know. Uh, so Summers, as highly uh, loved, beloved by the family as he was, uh, to uh, a few different occasions, King Henry VIII became so mad he threatened to have him executed. Um, so one of them was in 1535 when Summers joked that one of Henry's children was a bastard. Um, so maybe <laughs> maybe too, too close to That's home. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On that. And so he, Henry VIII, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then we're going to move on to this example of a Triboulet, who is a really famous jester. Uh, he served under King Louis the Twelfth um, and Francis the First, and so the French poet Jean Marot describes Triboulet as a fool with an unsightly head, as wise at thirty as on the day he was born, with a small forehead and large eyes, a big nose and squat figure, a flat, long belly, and a humpback. He mocked, sang, danced, and preached in derision of everyone. And this this guy was so famous. He actually, there's uh, several characters in uh, literature that have been. Uh, based on him, so uh, vi probably most famously Victor Hugo's Leroy, I don't know, say amuse, eh? S'amuse, maybe. Yeah, yeah something. Um, so, but his his brand of satire got him frequently beaten in court. Um, so just like if he would offend someone, they would hire someone to go beat him. And then at one <laughs> oh, God. there's a sort of a legend. It's not really clear if it's if this actually happened or just an anecdote. But uh, supposedly he came to King Francis and told him that one of the members of the court had threatened to kill him. Tribulet, not the king. Uh, he was gonna. So he's, he's like, hey, this, these people are gonna kill me. And so the king uh, reportedly replied. Uh, if he does, I will hang a quarter. Uh, if he does, I will hang him a quarter of an hour afterward. To which Triboulet supposedly quipped, "Ah, sir, couldn't you contrive to hang him a quarter an hour previously?" It's <laughs> 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 pretty good, though. Yeah. So, but he actually did. Uh, the king orders his execution at one point because Triboulet made fun of the queen. Um, so the and this is it's not really clear whether this is just an anecdote that has come over time or just something. I mean, it seems like in line with what. You know his quick wit and stuff. So, uh, so uh, because of his good service, uh, the just, king. I'm glad we make all our stupid jokes on the internet. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> people aren't going to beat us up. Yeah. Like judging by some people on Twitter, I'd be like, wow, 
I'd definitely be getting beaten up if this was just a room where we all got to talk to each other. Oh yeah, or YouTube comments uh, too. You know, like this. Is, oh, you know, don't even go to YouTube comments. It's yeah. not even worth it. Yeah. Jeez. The first day is really good usually. It's really over time, like it just degrades into, uh, you know, not not worth ever looking at. Yeah. Um, but so in any event, so he so the king orders his execution for insulting the queen, and then but he says because of your good service, uh, you can choose your manner of death, and that uh, that uh, part seems to have happened. It's it's with the response. Thanks. His his response is the part that's not clear if it's a legend or not. But so Triple A purportedly told the king. Good sire, for Saint Natusche's and Sig Pansard's sake, patrons of insanity, I choose to die from old age. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's good. So apparently, this uh, amused the king so much that instead of killing him he just had him banished um so hey yeah it was an upgrade uh so all that said a good gesture is expected to, do you like how i'm doing your job because i know where we are in the notes <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm. yeah so a good a, a good court gesture is expected to help their master yeah, yeah. see okay, fully yeah. in yeah. their plans yeah so that, that and they're making or actions that's the job of yeah the gesture yeah <laughs> and as mentioned breaking the bad news and all that so we're gonna have an example yeah. Of that, so yeah, so 14th century legend has it, uh, uh, King Philip the Sixth of France was given the news that his fleet was destroyed by the English in the Battle of Sluys, maybe um, by the jester, who said, "The coward English, the dastard English, the faint-hearted English." So then the king responds, "Why do you abuse them?" To which the jester uh, supposedly stated, "I feel like we're doing a table read." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because they would not jump out of their ships into the sea as our brave Frenchmen did. Um, ah, yeah. So the French. What did they actually get paid for this? Um, and this actually varied. Some of them didn't have salaries at all. They were just sort of their upkeep. Uh, some of them did have regular stipends along with that. But they were exceptionally well taken care of with food, you know, room servants um, sometimes, and things like that. But on top of that. If they would particularly amuse all these, you know, wealthy people that they were around, uh, they tended to get little like tips, basically. Like, to, and sometimes these were these were big. So, like King Henry II awarded thirty acres of land to a jester named Roland Le Petour, who um, and the the stipulation to this land as part of the deal. So, I guess uh, he was retiring or something. And so, once a year, this guy had to return to court and to quote, leap, whistle, and fart. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> He's motivated to eat some beans. Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, the day, the days before the internet and like good entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was, you had to pay 30 acres of land to get that. Um, but yeah, they could, they could, uh, gifts were um, sometimes even titles and money, like lots of money and stuff like that. Um, so one Tom the Fool was actually awarded uh, 50 shillings, which is about a year's salary at the time, um, for just uh, an excellent performance uh, to King Edward the first daughter in, or during King Edward the first daughter Elizabeth's wedding. Um, so just sort of his his job anyway, but he got a fifty shilling bonus for doing a, a particularly good job at the wedding. Um, so they they were well so, well compensated. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Does this happen in real life? Like it always happens in movies, right? Or like I don't know. You hear about it places like casinos, you know, and some you know you there'll be some. What's the person who deals the cards called? A dealer, <laughs> right? Nailed it. Like a blackjack dealer or whatever. Yeah. And you know, in the movies, they'll be like. Like in James Bond or whatever, and to be like fifty thousand to you, Mister Bond, or however it works, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's like, and then he's like a hundred thousand, and then the game ends, mm -hmm. and he just flips a coin to the dealer, and it's like, 
I don't know, like quarter million dollars or whatever. Yeah. Does that happen in real life? Because then if I was that dealer, I'd be like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Well, I like, mean, it definitely, we had that one story of that rich billionaire from, I think it was Australia, who did that. When we were doing the, the one on the um, the largest bets ever made, right? And yeah, he, but did he he, he, he would do that. Any? Like, he would tip like 50,000 oh. and stuff like that. Uh, and like that, like... Yeah, so what happens after that? Do you get to keep it all? Does some go to the casino? Surely then... Yeah, I'm sure there's different rules, like they you, divide it all up, or... I, I, I think that's probably... But you never hear about someone who's like a blackjack dealer living in like a giant mansion. Yeah, maybe no, they're, so it's maybe they not, do. They probably get good tips, but it's not like, you know, it's not so much that you're going to like retire. It's just like, you know, someone gives you like a thousand dollar tip, like that's great, but it's not going to like change your life. Or anything. It's just like that's no, but awesome it make for the right job. now. Like if that was happening every yeah. night. No, I, yeah, I wouldn't think it would be like an every night. It'd be like people who do really well, which the casino usually wins, so most people don't. So, um, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So interesting. The other or way, like waiters in super expensive restaurants. Like, yeah, they make good tip money. Like twenty percent in America for some yeah. reason. Like, if you've had like you know. Twenty thousand dollars worth of wine or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's like no. The fancy is the way to keep in that. Yeah, they uh, fancy restaurants. They get they get they make good money. Those those ones. It's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. But it um, probably makes up for like four dollars they get paid an hour or whatever. Yeah, or is, yeah, in, in the U.S. It seems insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they also the jesters could also get uh, get good earnings or, or or I should say parlay their roles as as the fools to great wealth by using so they're I mean they're a confidant of the king or the duke or you know these wealthy people and so they can you know sort of work out deals for their family or their friends to get them lucrative deals and like you know things like this and then they they get compensated uh, sort of in the in the back alley type thing that way so uh summers actually uh the, he got his uncle who was his uncle who was in financial ruin he got him a deal with the king that sort of saved him so that's like a thing um and as noted moving on to female jesters they had sort of the same the same powers and stuff and so one i just like this this woman had some good examples so methurine the fool uh she was um mm. served in the courts of henry the third and fourth and also louis the 13th in the 17th century so she was well known for her um she used to dress up as like a stereotypical amazonian warrior um which we did that video where amazonian warriors the thing is that it was like the, the actual amazonian it was like actually seems like it is based on a real thing uh but not quite you know the, oh the way, yeah the, the cutting the breasts off wasn't a thing yeah that wasn't a thing but there was this group the there was this group uh in the steps i think it was where the women did fight and and it was very it does seem to have inspired this greek uh, notion of the Amazonian warrior. Uh, this group seems to be the inspiration for it, at least. Um, even though obviously it's you know became sort of uh, various legendary aspects and stuff. But they did they did the women trained, fought, and and also um, a lot of the elements of the original Greek stories were very similar to this group. Um, but I mean they just sort of fought alongside their men rather than being like exclusively just like women group. But but in any event, she she would dress as an Amazonian warrior was her thing. So shield armor. She had a wooden sword. Um, that was not, you know, sharp or anything, but she did at one point, um, let's see if I've had the, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to wait cause there's a whole long quote about it. Um, so, uh, so she dressed this way and she was known for her extremely quick, quick wit with, so like, um, one at one story was she was standing or walking alongside the lady in waiting who complained that she didn't like having a fool at her right side. And then supposedly without missing a beat, Mithurine, uh, supposedly jumped to the lady's other side and announced to the court. <laughs> I don't mind at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so she also 
why this is the part I was mentioning with her. So she had her this picture of this. She's in her Amazonian garb, and she foiled the assassination, supposedly, of Henry IV. Uh, so the assassin went, and so she encounters this, and he's trying to escape. And it's recounted. this story is recounted in 19th century edition of Frank Leslie's Popular Monthly, where it states... Mathurine, who was arrested, the youth. Uh, Mathurine, it was who arrested the youth who attempted to assassinate Henry the Fourth on December the twenty-eighth. This youth, who had glided into the apartment unperceived, struck at the king with his dagger. "Devil, take that fool with her tricks!" cried His Majesty. Mathurine sprang to the door and, barring the passage, prevented the escape of the king's assailant. Yeah, in her Amazonian garb. Kind of interesting. But um, yeah, useful, you know, not just for show. That wooden sort. Yeah. So what happened to the position of the court jester? So when did it go away? So it turns out um, it sort of uh, mostly died off around the 17th century uh, as theater started becoming a thing and popularized. Um, it's sort of like, uh, again, like as funny as the jesters were and stuff, uh, when you have like popular entertainment that's better, everyone just sort of gravitates to that yeah. instead. And a lot of these jesters would could have moved to that too because they could make a lot more money and it's a lot less um, uh, sort of, you didn't have to worry about getting your head chopped off risky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as much and, and offending people. So one of the, one of the world's, uh, Western world anyways, last famous uh, court jesters was Samuel Maggotty Johnson, who worked for the Duke of Montague, but he also uh, hired his services out at this time uh, to basically anyone. And he even wrote a play in, the, in London, and this, the, at the behest, the Duke of Montague uh, asked him to. And so he writes this, and it was so bad. Mm. Like, it just ultimately panned. Oh. So if people have seen The Room, where, where it's popular because it's, yeah. like, the worst movie of all time. Yeah. Like, uh, And it's so good because it's so awful, and people love it. And this this play became that. It was, like, the, the uh, 18th century version of The Room, uh, where it's just everyone just hated it, but it was so bad. It was, it was awesome. So, like, as one commentator of it noted... The extraordinary drama of Harlow Thrombo was the talk and admiration of the town. The more curious and more insane production has seldom issued from human pen until the room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when Maggotty died in, uh, at the age of 82, um, he sort of uh, showing his humor. He requested to be removed from the body, his body from the churchyard because he didn't want to be buried next to this woman called Hannah Bailey, who he had frequently quarreled. And then uh, because... He stated on the day of resurrection, they'd just be fighting over whose leg bone was whose. Um, and then he actually asked to be reburied in the tomb. This is kind of sweet, actually. Uh, <laughs> Wait, they did it? Yeah. But this he had another reason. <laughs> he had a serious reason, actually, and it's kind of sweet a little bit. So oh, okay. he asked to be reburied in a tomb, which is now in a place called Maggoty Wood. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of that? Or... Never heard of okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So he would... Wait, it's in England? Oh, yeah. Of course uh, it's in England. Uh, okay. I believe so. Yes, it is in England. Uh, so it's yeah, and you can you can all these people sounds pretty yeah yeah so he, you can go there and he just wanted it was he had a servant girl who it was sort of his lady love and she was that was her favorite place so she got buried there so he wanted to be buried there as well and so this that's the end of the court jester and now we're going to move on from that for the dessert of today is the job of the medieval executioner what was this actually like um in the ballpark of the medieval times um obviously um so, what did what did someone do like as an ex like how did what what was the actual day to day life and um, how did you get the job in the first place? Um, Maggotty Wood gets a four point seven on Google reviews. Really, that's by the way. that's pretty good. good. I I feel like I'd heard of it, but mm -hmm. I probably haven't because it's up near Liverpool, which is really far away from where I grew up. That's fascinating. That you say like really 7. far away because I feel like England is or uh, the UK is so small. Like. 
like relative. Yes. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, let me see. Because you can drive from like one end to the other in a day, right? Uh, yeah, it's a long, a long day's drive. Yeah, it's four and a half hours from, and I'd say that's you know pretty far away. Oh, yeah. Like it's up near Manchester. You could do it in, you know, I wouldn't drive up there and then drive back the same day. For example, that would be crazy. <laughs> 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 honestly if there's if it's a drive that's over an hour i'm like better be staying over <laughs> <laughs> see see i don't know my dad was a truck driver so like i'm like eh, you know 14 hour 15 hour day that's that's perfectly that's perfectly okay yeah, with me it's, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's good it's fine um no. but yeah um so where were we um so yeah the the job of executioner obviously again the caveat as ever uh, varied widely across regions and stuff like that. We had the the great story of the uh, the Ottoman Empire during the 18th century. I think we've brought it up here before, but just really quickly, where the, where you could, if you were, is that the one with the gardener? Yeah, the gardener. If you could just beat him, yeah, there was I also like the that. executioner, and you could they would hand you the little drink, and if it was the one color, that means you were gonna you were executed. You were they decided whoever decided that you were gonna be executed, and once you got it, you could just like sprint, and if you could make it to the walls or whatever uh, before they did, uh, if you could beat them in the foot race, then you then you could live. And I think like only a handful of people actually managed it yeah. yeah the head gardener was really fast yeah and strong because they were also like bodyguards yeah. and uh, quite quite fit and everything so and and if they got caught they it's would not just like you're racing boothby or something yeah and if they if you got caught they would just strangle you and right there uh, when they caught you so if you didn't win the the race so uh, how did you become an executioner in medieval times in Europe in the first place? And, and a lot of the times it was just former criminals because nobody wanted the job of, of executioner. And for many, many reasons we're going to get into, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a pleasant job to have just even beyond like if you don't like, you know, if you didn't care about killing someone, it was just an awful job to have um, for uh, various reasons. So Scandinavian countries, uh, they extensively used um, uh, former prisoners themselves, and they would also tend to do uh, cut off one of the ears or both of the ears, uh, just so they could uh, easily identify. And then you also usually were branded um, so that everyone knew you were an executioner. Oh. Um, yeah, so for we have an example of, of this in Hugo Matheson's, uh, I don't know. What <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> A book he wrote. Bottle og galgafogel. <laughs> go with that. <laughs> galgafogel. In the year 1470, a poor thief stood at the foot of the gallows in the Swedish town of Arboga and was waiting to be hanged. The public attending the spectacle had pity on the sinner, and when he, to save his neck, offered to become executioner in the town, it was agreed. He was pardoned, and the red-hot iron was used to brand his body with both the thief and the executioner mark. Mm -hmm. Dude, getting branded is not going to be any fun at all. No, especially, yeah, I mean, you don't have, I mean... Especially back in the day when it's like, oh yeah, I got a small infection and now I'm dead. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, and yeah, you got, you don't got like painkillers to take the sting out a little bit. I mean, I suppose you get drunk or right. something, but um, there's no liquid ibuprofen to so just rub onto that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So and and there were also just standing executioners and stuff with. Um, they they didn't they have like. They must have discovered that if you start chewing on some poppies, you're gonna have a good time. Although I guess that's all the way around the other side of the world. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know when that would have been, like a thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not it's well it's not a good time. No, no. Whatever way you want to look at it. And so and another one in Germany they had a thing where uh the oldest so you see the executioner was the often the oldest male relative of the of the victim. Um so that was like oh. a there was just became their thing. Um so that's not that's ideal. not brilliant. Yeah, so everyone avoided this profession like the plague for a variety of reasons. For first off, it was generally considered that you were damned in the afterlife if you were an executioner. 
So just like, yeah, you're going to hell. Oh, like, and that meant that, like, back in the day, people were like, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that was despite the fact that, like, in France, the church officially decreed that, no, you're, you're absolved from the sins from your execution. But people, they still believed it anyway. Like, the general public's like, oh, yeah, you're, go you're going to hell. <laughs> like, that's just what's going to happen to you. Also, uh, executioners were considered generally considered unclean, so people avoided them like the plague, uh, like quite literally. Um, they were ostracized. They had to, you know, live outside of town. Um, they weren't uh, in some places. They even had laws against you can't go to a, you can't go to a pub, you can't go to these markets, like you can't do any of these things. Like and so and to get and to get around this oh, problem, of like, course, you it's still. Like covid yeah you you were basically <laughs> completely ostracized to get around that though i mean obviously they still need to get food so in these places sometimes they would be given like a tax uh so they could tax the local you know shops to say okay you got to give me some butter you know like just you just, just send it out to oh, me okay. so you didn't we didn't have well, to go that's not so bad yeah but but you wouldn't you know you weren't allowed to basically interact with society like you weren't and some of them had you couldn't have dinner like there was laws that like the common folk couldn't have dinner with an executioner like and so you just it was you know you were completely, you know, ostracized from society, basically, um, unless the, the society that you could interact with were criminals, basically, and people who didn't, who just didn't care, you know. Um, oh, well, they're the most fun anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And the only places you could live, if you could live near the town, were often next to like latrines and lepertoriums and brothels, basically, um, which, you know, like. Dude, is a lepertorium <laughs> what I think it is? I would assume so. Yeah. Like, so. Oh, wow. Like, clearly you'd pick the third option, right? Like, that's the only one. Um, yeah, yeah, but hmm, should I live next to the toilet? <laughs> yeah, the, the place, the leather colony, like, yeah. or the brothel? Yeah. Um, so yeah, they were just sort of barred from everything. You know, uh, that was just quite common. And so, as you might imagine from this, they were kind of executioners could interact with other executioners and um, and then their families. Because um, oh, that's the other thing. It's not just you that are condemned to all this. Your family is just as ostracized. So if you have kids. They're just as ostracized, and they can't interact with other kids, and like, uh, well, so it's just not—it's just not a good, good profession that you wanted. Um, Who executes people these days? I guess it's just machines, right? Well, they someone's got to press the button. It's on often that like lethal injection. I machine. feel like it's like doctors and stuff, like typically uh, involved, and which is very—I I mean, that we have a. Um, we should probably just do a podcast episode because we've done a few different episodes sort of around that issue of like executions and like the, the difficulty. Uh, so we had like that one on the um, the last meal, which was quite interesting. And um, on like some the last executioners in Britain, which is that one's really fascinating. There's three cases. Do you remember that one? Three cases that kind of stopped uh, the um, executions. <laughs> Dude, this must have been a while ago. Yeah, they were like back to back to back cases where like the people were like everyone was like, no, why are we even killing these people? Like that's. Like, I think one of them, the guy was, like, clearly innocent. Another one, the woman was, like, clearly everyone was on her side. And, like, yeah, we would have killed him. Like, you know. Uh, and then, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So it was just, like, back to back to back. And then people were, like, done with it, uh, executions. But, um, yeah, and then the last executioner in Britain. Yeah, we, we could probably put all that together to a podcast episode. It could be quite interesting. But, um, yeah, it also turns out the executions, because they don't really happen that often in reality. It was hard to make ends meet as it. But you also, so the alternate work that was available to you as an executioner wasn't exactly awesome. So like disposal of corpses, emptying cesspools, uh, uh, collecting ta taxes yeah. from the diseased and prostitutes, which no one wanted to do things like this well at least you live next to the brothel <laughs> yeah, so it's convenient yeah that's that one and maybe know. the latrine as well yeah um but you know from the disease that's not ideal um so yeah uh, the uh, interesting one that they did have was doctor and surgeon was like a, a thing which doctors and surgeons back then like that type <laughs> were shunned um quite a bit uh and but because executioners were experts at torturing people because that's something they also were, were um 
sort of tasked with uh, as part of their job. Uh, they tended, and they were a close-knit community of executioners and their families, they would sort of over generations because your kids had no opportunity but to be an executioner too. That that, that sort of became mm -hmm. a thing. Uh, so they, they actually were really experts in human anatomy, uh, as you might expect over time from that and so they they grim yeah being like doctors and stuff became a thing so like we have a very famous executioner franz schmidt from the 17th century he was from germany um he treated in his journal he has an extensive journal so that's also why he's so still so famous today but he treated over 15,000 people as a doctor or surgeon but only executed 394 and uh and uh tortured i think um it was about the same number um as he as he um, executed. So most of the time he was actually functioning as a doctor, despite everyone, you know, he was considered an executioner. So he was one who his father was uh, was thrust into becoming a uh, executioner. And then that just sort of meant that was his only option. So he trained. And this is just weird because you think about this as a kid. He's a kid and he's shunned by society and he's trained to be to torture people, to kill people. Like uh, you know, execute them, and that as a kid, and like he he would go along with his father and help out with the with these things, but you'd think that might warp a person. But he was actually known. This he's a he's a famous example also because of what happened later. He had, he was such like an outstanding like good person, and and like people really liked him like over time. Um, yeah. So eventually he was able to uh, parlay that to um, get an audience with someone that's later in the notes, and uh, and they basically. Uh, Nuremberg authorities. Yeah, yeah. So uh, at the age of seventy yeah, years old, he he was able to get, and he they he had so many references from the people of his town and like this of like this guy is such a good guy. He's you know, and they and they released him. So they basically absolved him. So he was no longer shunned by society, and his family name was cleared and everything. So uh, just because he was just so good and uh, job. Oh, Emperor Ferdinand the. It only took him treating fifteen thousand people. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That probably helped too, because he you know. Uh, he actually was helping people in that in that sense, but um, but ultra professionalism was actually sort of necessary if you're an executioner at this time, because if you weren't, uh, some of the things like if you like in Germany they had a law that if you took more than three swings to behead the victim, you yourself would get executed. Uh, so if you didn't, <laughs> so you had to you had to perform it and forget about that. Like if the mob, like if they, so there's always a crowd when you're executing these people. And if you do a bad job or like you're there, the crowd just gets really unhappy with what's happening. They can kill you and nobody in the mob will get uh, punished for that. So um, you sort of had to do a good job and, and, and um, not have a problem with that. And so Schmidt or yeah, Schmidt in his, di or his journal actually noted this. He only had a, a mob turn turn once and they didn't turn on him. They actually turned on the person uh, he was flogging and they just they just killed him. Uh, the person stoned the guy to death. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so, oh. so retaliation from the mob or retaliation from like if you're uh, executing someone and their family is not too happy about it, you know, that was a, that was always a risk as well that they might come after you. Well, it's not like you decided to execute them. Yeah, but like... You don't get angry at the gun. Yeah, and, and that was actually a way that they could make money on the side a little bit too was that uh, sometimes the family of them would, would bribe you to say, hey, could you make this particularly painless or how about give them some alcohol like that so they, they could make money that way so yeah but but it was a risk like if if there was a large group of people who were upset about the execution they might if you didn't do a good job on it you know they want they want to see a quick quick death very painless and if you didn't do a good job the mob you know might get upset with you and then just kill you um so that was another danger of being that but schmidt schmidt uh, was extremely good at it and yeah um 
So he actually had to train. So they, because the mob doesn't care if it's your first day on the job. Uh, so they would actually, obviously, he would go along and help his father. But he was also, before he actually, the big event where he was actually the executioner and torture, they would actually, he would practice on animals, various animals, uh, before allowed to execute a human himself, just to make sure he did a good job Okay. when the time came. So um, they could make, like an executioner wasn't like a great paying, but if they traveled, some of the executioners traveled to make a better living to just sort of dole out their services elsewhere because executioners were really People didn't want to do it yeah nobody wanted to do it so there was always that was a way to make money and um it's interesting oh yeah no, you gotta go somewhere else yeah no, traveling executioner another job that, <laughs> another job that was common of the executioners was to uh, arbitrate disputes between prostitutes um and also oh. um, drive lepers out of town again super you gotta live next to the brothel you yeah, they were... taxes you do the arbitration <laughs> yeah you clean out their latrines yeah yeah you execute them if they're naughty yeah that one <laughs> one of the one one of the groups you could probably actually talk to like you know especially yeah a male executioner you're not i mean there's like all of women are like sort of barred from you you know except for the <laughs> prostitutes basically yeah. um so yeah so yeah well they also and there were some laws uh, some towns had laws where you could any stray animal carcass was automatically the property of the executioner of the town and so that would that could be quite valuable with the teeth and hide and stuff like that um and they were also in charge of disposing of those animal carcasses so um they would always find them so uh, let's see. Yeah, we already talked about the tax. They also had the tax where they could get um, goods and stuff. Um, for free. Just be like, give it to me. Yeah. And as for... <laughs> or I'll chop off your head. As for what they made. So they, we have a... Like, what did they make per execution? So in, uh, there's a German town in 1276 uh, that had a statute that said the equivalent of five shillings per uh, execution, which was roughly... I mean, obviously, that's hard to translate. But it was out at the time in the area. It was around 25 days... Uh, for a normal tradesman like a normal skilled tradesman so that was quite like a month mm -hmm. a month's thing but uh, again pretty good yeah again i mean they weren't like executing someone every month either so it wasn't like they had to you know supplement um supplement on the side oh one thing to finally address just to wrap this up on what it was like to be medieval executioner and uh, versus hollywood so hollywood always depicts it as they always wear masks that black mask you know that stereotypical thing but that doesn't actually appear to have been mm. much of a thing because uh, as as noted like a lot of these executioners were branded people knew who you were yeah everyone knew who you were like even even big cities they made an effort even big cities like in medieval times were not big by like the way we think of it like um you know so uh yeah everyone knew who you were so it wasn't they weren't trying to hide it or anything so the mask wearing doesn't seem to have been like a, a like a, a popular thing as even though like in popular entertainment today it's they're always wear the black mask but so that oh i just thought about sorry just before we end because mm -hmm. i see this is like the last page yeah I just thought about executions and firing squads when they just they have like mm. the group of people and they don't put the bullets in or they put the bullets in one gun or they don't put the bullets there are in only one some gun. of the guns I think they don't put the bullets in yeah. one gun yeah we had that story did, so you can have we covered the one with the have you recorded the one with the nobody wanted to do it still so that someone had to make a machine that would do it uh yeah like they would shoot the gun um yeah yeah, well, I don't remember what this the, the biggest story was here, but I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in one of them recently. Yeah. I don't know the last month or two. But I mean, so whoever still someone's still pressing the button on the machine. I mean, it's well, what's the difference? Why isn't that the way? Like, I could see, like, gun back of the head, machine that does it. Nobody has to press anything. It's just you put them in the room. As soon as someone sits on the thing, it, uh, you know, machine learning to learn to just gun back of the head. Like, it's painless. You know, they're not going to... Yeah, because the person would be like, no, I'm not going to sit down, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So someone's got to push them down. And yeah. then that person's the person pushing yeah, yeah, the button. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But you could have where they just have to enter the room and, and then just the robot comes in, like, you know, or just <laughs> into their cell or whatever. And just like the... 
<laughs> Sit down. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but dude, someone's got to turn that robot well, on. And you know, as morbid as humans are, if you actually made a like a, almost like the Ottoman thing where like, okay, we're going to put you in this cell and there's going to be a robot. If you can defeat the robot, you, you go free. And uh, if not... You know, it'll kill you. Yeah, but people don't want them going through. This would be like, like the this would no. I think be like, the, you killed seventeen people. This would be like. a super popular show. You know, it would be and and dude, no, no. Yes, it absolutely this isn't, would. We're not in this the dystopian would be, future yet. This would be something it's, that everyone would watch, regardless, because it would be one of those things that people couldn't watch. You know, it's like you know, people might say like, oh, I would never watch that, but no, no like everyone would watch this, just like the like the gladiators. Dude, thing. I wouldn't watch this. No, I would not watch this. It would. It would be like. But you would hear people. It's like how many how many ISIS beheadings have you watched? Zero, because I don't like seeing well, people get see, their heads chopped that's off. That's not entertainment. The entertainment here is if they if you made it so, so they actually could get away, right? So it's not nobody wants to see someone getting beheaded. Okay. But if no, it's like I don't I don't like blood sports. <laughs> yeah. I don't watch boxing. It's too violent. I don't watch MMA or any of this yeah. stuff. It's just yeah, too no. much. I don't want to see people no. get their faces bashed in. I agree completely. I, I don't I don't watch that. But, but you just said everyone would watch this. Most people, it would be popular. Because it would be popular because, you know, because humans aren't any different than like, you know, 2,000 years ago. Yeah, no, sort of I can't. It would, was it would be popular. popular. Uh, Sadly, though, I don't think it should be popular. No, but it would be wildly popular. And the people who would get off would go and have their reality TV shows and like, you know, like, you know that would be a thing. <laughs> Uh, this would be terrible. <laughs> It'd be like, what's this? Hey, it's a new show with Peter the Pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's going on? <laughs> it's like the worst future ever. <laughs> Who famously defeated the robot uh, and, you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> by, you know, whatever. No, this isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like this idea. Or they, they used to have that, like, Robot Wars show. You ever watch that? Like where they, they yeah, robot. robot wars. Yeah, but that's robots is, destroying this each would be, other. Yeah, you, they just. It's not throw the same human. thing. It's a big difference, <laughs> but no, it's a big difference between robots destroying each other and robots destroying people. Yeah. <laughs> but people would be uh. ju- people would be just as it would be a more popular show than that robot wars show was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would definitely would. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, yeah. definitely would. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. So is that it? Yeah, we done. That's it for this episode. Okay. <laughs> on that note yeah. uh please do consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts it would be appreciated like we said at the beginning of the show we got that contest going on so there's a good reason and you can leave us a rubbish review if you were like is this show about facts or is it about you know bs two stars that's okay you're still in the competition mm-hmm. uh but it's going to be awkward when when i email you to be like hey <laughs> congratulations <laughs> you dick <laughs> Uh, thank you everybody for listening it has been a pleasure we'll be back real soon maybe hopefully possibly with a new episode thank you for listening good